Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for all the support from all around the world. And we are back with episode number 32. This one taped live in Amsterdam at the 25th annual High Times Cannabis Cup. That's right. We were very fortunate to get to uh, do a live free weed in Amsterdam at the 25th Cup. And, and we had some great guests for this. Who, who's with us? It features myself along with Milo from Big Buddha Seeds and Brett from Apothecary Seeds. And I'm there, too. Yeah, Mike's there, too, <laughs> taking questions from the crowd. And we had a great time doing this uh, live episode. And now you'll notice uh, while this is playing that, that Brett does a little bit more talking than Milo. And it actually <laughs> is pretty funny. But they're both very knowledgeable. And it was a great uh, it was a great free weed, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun to do it live in front of us, uh, an audience. And, yeah, two, two Cannabis Cup winners uh, revealing some of their uh, tricks and tips and secrets and yeah, we had a lot of fun over there doing that. So Yeah, that's right. So uh, why don't you have a listen? We'll jump back in a little bit and uh, enjoy Milo, Brett, and Danny Danko. Live in Amsterdam. What's up, everybody? Does this work? Yeah, this works. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Amsterdam. Thank you for coming out to a live recording of uh, Free Weed from Danny Danko. This is High Times Senior Cultivation Editor Danny Danko. Give him a hand. Come on. Thank you. There we go. Thanks a lot, guys. We've been doing this podcast now for about a year. Uh, really excited to be continuing to do it. Uh, we weren't able to put one out uh, in the past couple of weeks because of the hurricane in New York that affected uh, a lot of our um, infrastructure. Like their technical <laughs> capabilities, yeah. But we're very excited to be doing a live one from Amsterdam. So this is exciting. And welcome, all of you, to the 2012 High Times Cannabis Cup. Yeah, thanks a lot. Also, I hope you guys are having fun. I hope you guys are having fun visiting the coffee shops and uh, enjoying the unique uh, system that they have here as far as uh, being able to be treated like a customer instead of a criminal when you purchase your cannabis. So, uh, you now, know, how many, how many cups have you been to at this point? I was trying to figure that out. It's like at least 10. <laughs> I think I it's, say. yeah, I think it's either 11 or 12. I, uh, almost every year since 1989 I've been here. So it's a great uh, time. Yeah, yeah great we've time. watched this event grow and... Uh, you know, this year is the 25th, and we're honoring Stephen Hager, uh, our editor emeritus of High Times, the founder of this Cannabis Cup, which was founded in a hotel room with like three or four people, the first one. So it's amazing to see what it's grown into here in our uh, silver anniversary. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we have a great show for you today. We have a couple of uh, extra special guests. Special for you. guests, yeah, absolutely. We have uh, Milo from Big Buddha Seeds, a Cannabis Cup winner. And uh, creator from Milo, everybody, come on, Big Buddha, Big Buddha. You see that booth in there? That thing is yeah. insane. Creator of the cheese and many amazing cheese crosses and all kinds of stuff we're going to talk about. And we have Brett from Apothecary Seeds, also a cup winner for the Kaya Kush. What is it? Yeah, it took yeah a team the of Kaya them. Kush, the Grape Ape, uh, sour grapes. 
which is a really great name for a strain. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Yes. Uh, well, let's, thanks let's for having us. Let's have a hand for Big Buddha and Brett. Hi, guys. Hope you're all well. <laughs> all right. So um, I guess we're going to talk about some of the basics of uh, cannabis cultivation uh, to start off with, and we'll get into some of the more technical stuff. Um, we should also mention just up front, at the end of this, we're going to do some Q&A with the audience. So uh, if you have any questions, keep them in mind. You could ask Milo or Brett or Dan, and we'll do that. Yeah, so um, I guess, uh, Milo, tell me about uh, your first experiences with uh, cannabis cultivation and how you, how you got involved uh, in general in, in, in this field. First of all, um, I started growing at like a young age. I was 16, and uh, it's just something about the plant. It's something about growing the plant, which uh, it felt special to me as a as a person. And uh, a little closer, yeah, a little closer, yeah. And eventually, got to a point where uh, you know we uh, started growing a lot of bud, and then uh, eventually we came over to Amsterdam, and we started growing uh, marijuana for the coffee shops out here. And uh, it's, it's took it on to better, bigger, better things now, and uh, to the point where we're obviously a professional seed company. And uh, it's, it's an incredible, it's just been an incredible journey. But uh, first and foremost, you've got to have a, a lot of love for the plants so, to, to start growing, you know. And uh, uh, what sort of grow lighting do you, do they prefer to use in the UK? What's what's the first? Obviously, we use obviously the regular uh, high pressure sodium lighting. Um, you know, obviously, you start off with one lamp, and then uh, obviously you build up. But um, what I've started to notice uh, after a little while is I, I started growing with uh, metal halide lights, even for flowering. Even for flowering. Um, it's a more of a wide spectrum of, of light, but uh, what I noticed was the buds were a lot more denser and more sort of resinous uh, with, uh, compared to sort of the normal high-pressure sodium lighting. Sometimes it seems that the lengths between the internodes are shorter as well. Yeah. And then um, my sort of, after a while, because there's like levels of growing. First, obviously, you start off with one light, then there may be three lights, then there five lights. But what I'd like to say was I used to have two high-pressure sodiums and then one metal halide. So you had a broad spectrum of four lights covered in your room. So I always used to like a mix and match. Yeah. Cool. And Brett, um, I mean, you're, you're out in NorCal, right? Or... Uh, that's where you did your... Yeah, well, your if I, I'll give a little bit of history, maybe just okay. for a second. Um, so um, for those that don't know me, I haven't been around for about five years. I did a little bit of jail time. Um, we uh, ran a larger uh, grow out in Northern California. We had about 500 plants out there. Ended up having to do about uh, a little bit over uh, six months in jail, and I was on probation for the past three and a half years, and I couldn't come back to the cup where I won the cup in 2007 for Kaya Kush. And then some of my strains have, uh, I believe, uh, Grape Ape and Sour Grapes won at the Colorado Cup. Uh, but for me, this is, uh, and how I got started is, is, I'm the youngest ever, the only one alive with a rare form of skin cancer. I had 33 radiation treatments. 
And I got involved in cannabis because I realized that this plant uh, not only could help me, but it could help a lot of other people. So I started getting involved. I met Jack Hare. I also met uh, Eddie Lepp. And with Jack's help and Eddie's help, we put in 32,000 plants, the largest grow in the history uh, medical grow of the world. There's never been a grow that large before. Um, we were trying to kind of set uh, the bar to let the world know what cannabis can do and how it can help people out. Uh, it's a very important plant. Um, I started growing uh, about the same age as Milam. I was about 16 years old, uh, just playing around with, you know, one light. Uh, back then, it was m mostly 1,000 watts uh, with uh, a, what we would call China caps. Uh, uh, and I was, you know, just growing a little bit, you know, plant here, a plant there. It wasn't until probably I was about, uh, I don't know, let's say about 24, 25, I met uh, Jack Hare when I got sick. And uh, he took me around to some really neat growers, some growers that had been growing for a long time up in Northern California. And uh, I started growing uh, there and uh, really went uh, from there uh, into indoor, outdoor, hydroponic, flood and drain, aeroponics. Uh, I think I've pretty much grown everywhere except on the top of my head. Uh, I, I definitely, uh, I like to grow a lot, thousands of plants. I think that's a little bit more better than just a few. Um, and I definitely like to uh, get the word out. Uh, you know, one good thing that I, I will say here, and I'll pass it back over to you, is that uh, check out our movie that we just did. We got 41 million views on Netflix, How Weed Won the West, the largest ever publication of this type of documentary. It's on Netflix, and uh, it will really help people understand what, what we're doing in California and what I hope we're doing for the rest of you here and the rest of the world. We're going to get you free, man. And we're going to get you free to smoke cannabis. So uh, th th that's what I'm all about. Danny? Right on. Um, let's talk a little bit just about uh, grow room design in general, indoor grow rooms. Um, you know, what's the importance of, of, of ventilation in the grow room and that, and that sort of thing? Well, when, when I first started growing um, back in uh, England, um, the, most of the guys who were doing it around me, my community, were like rasters. And uh, back then, uh, it was like a simple case of Iron Man just put some lights on, a fan, and like a, a ventilator just blowing out. Um, but, you know, I'm Chinese, and after a few years of growing the simple way, you know, we started getting more and more sort of technical. And then obviously, um, you know, we started to realize the importance of having, um, you know, a, a, a grade A system. Uh, there's nothing more important than having, you know, a good grow room, well-controlled, fully vented grow room. To, and these are the places where you get the best buds, for sure. Yeah, and so you're talking about atmosphere control. That's atmosphere. when the lights are on and when the lights are off. You need to know what your temperatures are, what your humidity is at all times. And if I might add, Mylon, for one second, is that uh, uh, you really, when you're looking at your temperatures and your humidity, it's very important to be in ranges, ranges for, in humidity from 30% uh, uh, to 50%. And that will, over 50%, you'll start to, your plants, uh, the insides, the buds will start to rot. They'll stretch out because the humidity's too, uh, uh, it's too humid in the room and the plant cannot breathe and intake the oxygen properly. 
also with the temperatures in the room, depending on where you're at, if it's super humid uh, uh, and gets warm, an AC unit is a necessity uh, for life. A dehumidifier is also important. Uh, and of course, circulation of air is that most important. I think the number one thing that I could add to what you guys are talking about is imagine this. When you're growing inside, what are you trying to do, you guys? You're trying to duplicate the outside. What do you need? You need air, water, and food. That's water. Uh, it's pretty simple. But if you, if you overthink it and you make it too much, you, you'll, you'll mess it up. Yeah, so important to control the environment. Now let's talk about growing mediums. This is where your roots are. The, uh, so um, I, we could touch on a, a little bit about container size and a little bit about what you guys preferred uh, medium is and why. For me, um, I've always used soil. Uh, um, I've always, uh, you know, we go down to our local hydro store and and, and buy like the, the, the branded soil, things like Canna, BioBiz, um, and a few other ones which are, um, you know, available in order shops in Europe. Um, to me, the, the flavour of, of the, the, the medium is really important. Uh, so that's what I look for uh, in, in any of my weed. But at the moment now, we're because uh, uh, I'm based in Spain, we've uh, started to sort of mix around our own recipes of soil. Um, and actually, I've recently, I've, I've started to try out uh, another famous guy, if everyone knows Subcool. I started to yeah, use Subcool sub Super soil. soil. Yeah, yeah. highly Great recommended. Method. So I make my own soils. Um, I have been for the past 10 years. I work with the largest citrus far uh, farmer in the United States of America. He produces over 80% of all citrus in America, in Northern California. We make our own fertilizers. It's called A1 Nutrients. It's completely organic, 100%. And if it's good enough for the food that eats, it's good enough for the cannabis I smoke. Um, I don't like uh, wasting a lot of money. I make my own teas. It's very easy. You can save a lot of money. It's completely organic. I, I grow as well as in dirt. I feel that is the best way uh, in order to achieve the taste and the quality of the organic medicine itself. Not to say that, of course, 3,000 years ago, they were growing organic in China, correct? Uh, and they also were growing hydroponic in the rice fields. So uh, both techniques have been around for an extremely long time. Um, but as far as uh, fertilizers, I would, I would challenge everyone in here. Uh, uh, our, our world is based off farming. I mean, we, none of us would be here if, if the people before us didn't know how to farm. Uh, it's an essential tool, not only for gardening cannabis, but how about your food, your, your vegetables and your fruits. So understand what you put in kind of to your body, what you put into your food, your medicine, is what you're going to get out of it. So organic, uh, for me, is the only way to go. And it's very easy. You could get online anywhere you want uh, and find a hydroponic, I mean, an or organic recipe. Pretty much simple. Uh, consists of some back guano, sea kelp, worm casting, limes, some dolomites, some micro-beneficials, some enzymes, some mushroom spores, and mix it in with an easy, easy soil. Uh, I, I tend to use uh, sunshine number four. And then uh, that same mix I put into the soil, I use that for my mix and my teas. Uh, I usually average outside of California. You're familiar with California. I usually get you guys just about two and a half kilos of plant. Outdoors. S outdoors. Indoors, I can get up to a pound of plant. 
It's all about how the technique. It's technique and growing and getting the watts per square foot over your plants. If you're not maximizing the watts per square foot over your plant and super cropping and taking care of the plants, it's what in life. If you put nothing into your children, you get nothing back. These are my kids. I love them with my life. So, and the tea that you're talking about, are you talking about oxygenated compost teas? Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a little excited up here, you guys. But, <laughs> That's uh, great. This thank is you. why he's the cultivating expert over here. Uh, uh, he is right. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm putting in, uh, uh, currently I have a 250-gallon reservoir, and I have, uh, yeah, I've got a nice little watering system. And that is my uh, uh, think tank, if you will, for my uh, organic teas that I make with my air pump in there and the air stone aerating it. Now, when you make the teas, when you're putting in the uh, micro-beneficials, the enzymes, they live for approximately eight hours in the, the liquid. If you let them uh, longer than that, they're actually no good. So a lot of these people that think, oh, I'm putting in, and for an example, for a company, I'll put a plug in, Advanced Nutrients. I'll put a plug in for uh, Piranha, Tarantula, or Big Bud, products that I back and will back till I die. Those products are, are, are extremely good products. Advance makes a wonderful product uh, when it comes to those products, but they will be very expensive and very, very good as far as the product. But if you put them in your tea, and let's say you put them in, uh, uh, in an eight-hour period, and you, the next thing you know, you let that sit there, and it's been you know, 24, 36 hours, it's dead. The material's dead in there. It's anaerobic, and the, the bacteria and the beneficials all, all The big words that a breath doesn't know how to get. But yes. <laughs> but also, um, I like to add as well, I used to, uh, literally this year, um, I was, um, I've been obviously traveling between England and Spain, and uh, I was basically stuck in uh, England for like six weeks. I was actually, basically had an operation. But um, in Spain... Um, I had a crop which uh, it never got fed nothing but water for six weeks. P pH and, water? Yeah, pH water. It, that's but, important, you guys, pH and, water. And it still survived and it's still finished with buds. So you can literally, you know, you know, you, you don't the, need to touch too much. Right. The there less you, you feed, the better. Th th this is the best advice that I think we could give anyone out here. Um, and if I may add this is that. The cannabis, the cannabis cup I won in 2007 <laughs> cost me $100. In, so, nutrient, in nutrients? In nutrients and in soil. So it's not, it, 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 we're, not, we, we're not inventing, we're not building rockets up here, you guys. <laughs> You're growing cannabis, man. <laughs> A plant that has been growing for how many right. thousands of years? And I can't tell you how many times I've seen uh, gardens with burnt tips, you know, the buds look fine, but then you look at the ends of the leaves, and there's yes. that burnt tip, and that just means that it's been overfed yep. over a, a pretty long period of time. So you want to try to avoid that by erring on the side of caution, and then if you need to add more nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium, you can. But when you overfeed, it's very difficult to go back. And, and the one thing that I would uh, add to that, Dan, is that if someone had a problem with their NPKs, there is a product called NPK, and right. that's, that's an equalizer. If you're, if you're having a problem and you're, you're getting too dark, too light, or not too dark, but if you're getting light or spotted leaves and it's because of the feed or the pH or, or the PPM as far as the food, 
you could back off, do as Milam said, only water with water, pH water, and mm-hmm. use some of the MPKs, the product, and it should level your plant back off. The soil should level back off, and then you could start back up on your feeding process. But the less is better. Less is better. Um, if you guys are wondering about Milo's accent, he's from Birmingham, Birmingham, England, home of Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy. Um, let's talk about germinating seeds a little bit. Both of you guys are, are seed producers. What's your recommended method for popping those seeds uh, for the average you know, grower? For me, um, best piece of advice is always the paper towel method. Um, just obviously wet some damp paper towel in between a couple of plates and then uh, just storing it in somewhere in like a like an airing cupboard or like a, some warm place and then like literally within 12 to 24 hours have a look check the next day and you'll see the little white spout then straight in straight into a medium or a little grow cube so me i exact i do the same thing kind of old school the napkin wet it I, I usually put it on a lid or a plate i literally throw it in the window seal at the house i live in northern i mean southern california so it's 85 every day so it's nice and warm <laughs> uh within about generally uh, anywhere from 12 to maybe 36 hours she pops out uh i i like to be a little careful when i uh, deal with them so i wear uh, gloves i don't like to contaminate them and then i use the back end uh, of a pencil that's never been used and then i push in the back approximately about maybe an inch to an inch and a half I drop in the piece and then cover it up. I put it under lights and away we go. Um, we have a, a breeding facilities in Spain, but we've got a, also one of these sort of uh, genetic incubators where we uh, test our, our, our seeds on a little um, what is it, petri dishes. A, a yeah, petri dish, yeah. Yeah, petri dish. And uh, we do uh, mass germination tests and... Uh, this is a really good way of um, starting seeds as well. So, but also as well, because um, we've recently gone into auto-flowering genetics, and um, I've noticed that sometimes my traditional method, it's not very good for auto-flowering strains because uh, with the root of an auto-flowering plant, once it hits something, it stops growing it starts balling up so um so with the auto flowering seeds would you recommend planting them directly into with, the, the medium yeah. that you're going to grow be growing in with auto plant flowering strains if you're going to grow outdoors you know make a real nice sort of big hole if you're going to grow indoors in pots minimum start something at least like 10 liters of uh, of soil so uh, just so the, the roots have space to grow because the problem with the autoflower is as soon as it stops then uh, it, it, it's known as the root balling the, the, the root starts spinning around so it only turns it down into a tiny little plant the, the tap root basically yeah. sends a message to, to the to, plant yeah, and... to stop sort of growing so you end up with like a, an autoflowering plant which is like tiny yeah. alright um well, after the seedling has popped open, now you're in the vegetative stage of growth. Um, this is indoors where you use at least 18 to, I would say, 22 hours of light. I like to have at least a little bit of a dark period um, during that. But this is the time that the plant is, is, is prior to when it starts flowering, 
It's growing in its vegetative stage. It's growing shoots and leaves and more branches. Uh, and so during this stage is where you're really building your plant because once it begins to start flowering, it's going to cease, uh, you know, it's going to stretch a bit, but it'll cease its And, and also growth. as well, what's good as well, well, during the growth stage of the plant, you know, you can tell pretty much what type of characteristics it's going to be from the sort of the, the, the internodes and the structure of the plants. Um, you're going to pretty much know from then if it's going to be a real sort of big one or is it going to be more sativa, right. even branching. So um, this is, uh, uh, the vegetative stage is always a, a, a real important factor. Right. You know? So, and with Brett, I would say one thing I've noticed in my trips to California, both northern and southern, is that now uh, people have the advantage of growing in full sun you know they're not hiding the plants anymore and they're not uh they're not getting any kind of like uh you know shading shaded time during the day and you end up with these big monster plants some of the biggest i've ever seen um but how important is the vegetative stage in we order gen- well we generally start uh in january in fact when i get back i'll start that's when the, you're either popping I'll, seeds I'll or rooting clones popping seeds uh, during december uh, getting them ready, then uh, starting to veg them out, sex them. Uh, so even the outdoor plants are being started indoors oh, yeah. in order to get a jump on that I'll, season. I'll put a five-foot plant out uh, uh, for sure, uh, and then I will get it in cages. There's three cages that go around. Uh, the total parameter of the plant is 36 square, uh, 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 six by six, 36 yeah. square feet. I, I mean, I can't even emphasize how big these plants get yeah. sometimes outdoors in full sun. And the important thing for that also is to allow the roots enough space. My uh, hole, air, I have 350 uh, yards per hole uh, uh, of compost dirt. Gallons, right? Uh, well, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be gallons. And uh, the hole, and here's something, again, for maybe some outdoor growers. It's not about, you know, the, this old uh, saying of, you need to get a six-foot deep hole. No, you don't. No, you don't at all. It's uh, the width because yeah, it's about the roots. The roots are going to go out. And guess what the plant does? It protects the roots. So while your roots are going out there, guess what your plant's doing? It's reaching out there too because it's a natural protection for the roots. So as the plants are going out, the, the, the deal is, is to open them up and spread them out. So when we first put them out, we put a cage out on the five-footer, and we literally, I top it. And then I pull all the arms through because they're going to be growing vertical and then back straight up, uh, or horizontal and then straight back mm-hmm. up, I should say. And then you put the next cage on. By the time you're done, literally, you could have a plant from, right, from this about right here to the other side of the table, and then it's the same length around. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it could be uh, almost 40 square foot, 50 square foot per plant. How much it yield? Uh, at least two and a half uh, kilos, sometimes up to three or four kilos. That's it. it yeah. Just depends. But again, six to we, eight pounds per plant. Yeah, it, we are in the region. If you look, if from the the, the uh, 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 on the longitude latitude, we're the same as the southern of Spain, and we also are in in part, some parts of Italy. It, 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 we're, we're we're right there, and and it's uh, it's so close uh, uh, to the sun uh, and during the summertime. Uh, I live right down by, uh, uh, in Southern California, I live right, right by Mexico. Uh, it's warm all the time. I mm-hmm. mean, I left at 80, it was 85 degrees when I left. <laughs> Wish I could have brought it here for you guys. <laughs> um, one other thing I've noticed indoors uh, during the vegetative stage, a lot of times it seems that people have their lights too far from their plants. Uh, 
and they basically they hang their light and they let the plants grow up into it instead of uh, dropping the light to a good distance then you get a, a shorter stockier plant that's not going to be as stretched out those branches will be stronger they'll be able to hold uh, more weight well one, one thing I might add too and it's uh, in fact uh, uh, part of the techniques I learned from Kyle Cushman uh, a wonderful grower in his own right and uh, always got to give a shout out to an ex High Times buddy uh, anyways but uh, what he taught me, uh, um, he did, and so did Eddie Lip, was about, uh, I, I like to call it pop, drop, and lock, but it's super crop. That's what it is. But, you know, so you pop, drop, and lock. Uh, and what that is is simply you're going up to the plant, the plant, you're taking your fingers and you're twisting it. You can actually hear the stem wall of the plant break. Well, what you're doing, the plant is probably one of the fastest uh, 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 repairing of itself that, that there is in the world. Bamboo is another one. But by doing this, what you've done is you've allowed the stem wall. Now, if you will, if we will take, for example, it might be hard for some of you to see out there, but this is my finger, and that's the stem wall inside. Once you start breaking it, if you look what my finger's doing and how large the hole is getting, well, now imagine that as the feeding tube to your buds. Talk about getting big buds, huh? Because you've got a big feeding tube. And that's the technique, and there's certain techniques that need to be taught uh, to you guys so you can maximize. If, it, if the laws are going to change to where you can grow five, six plants, wouldn't you want to get uh, a pound or two out of those five or six plants yeah. instead of struggling to get a few ounces because of just a few techniques that you didn't understand? And it's not like we invented this. I didn't invent this. I'm sure people have been doing it for thousands of years. It's just something that I've put into my repertoire of growing that's helped me maximize, and, and for example, in California, it's a, uh, it's a 10 by 10. In a 10 by 10 area, I can pull almost 30 pounds. So that's almost 15 kilos in a 10 by 10 using eight 1,000s. So it's just about knowing your grow, knowing your plant. You, you said that, Mel. So. Going back to your question, though, um, I think more than anything, though, uh, with having just... Uh, one room is like your vegetative room. You know, most of the time you're going to have your mother plants in there. You're going to have the plants that you're growing up for your next crop there, as well as your clones. So it's going to be like, you know, from five inches for your clones to your big mothers. So it's, it's, it depends what you can make for it. Right. And when, you know, but in that case, you, know, you may want to raise the plants yeah. up or closer get to the light. Or um, a little yeah. propagator lighter again in your mother room. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are good for the clones. And then, um, the light should problem. be, you know, and I, and I kind of got off on subject, I do that a little bit, but uh, the light should be six to eight inches above the plant if it's properly aired and cooled and the ventilation's right in your room, and you should be able to keep it that way. Uh, and especially some of these new lights, uh, I don't know if you guys have done any of uh, the plasma lights. Sure. Those yeah, lights are, they're, they're some badass lights. There's really not a lot of heat coming off of them, not, so you can none. lower them pretty close. And, and, and then LED lights. I've done some experiments. I did an experiment about five years ago, uh, again, in an area of a three by, uh, a four by eight, so 32 square foot, with two 350-watt uh, LED lights. Uh, we got about three and a half uh, pounds off of it. Wow. So, you know, they work. Uh, you just got to know what you're doing. Right. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, pest awareness and control because pretty much everyone who grows is going to have this problem at one point or another, whether it be spider mites, white flies, thrips, russet mites, uh, root aphids. Um, there's plenty of, of, of bugs that, uh, that plague our plants. So, uh, yeah. When, um, 
When I first started growing and things, um, one of my friends taught me a real quick and easy method um, to sort of stay on top of it, of uh, pest control. But literally, as soon as you get your clones and you're about to transfer them into the room, we used to make a big bucket of, um, you know, um, spider mite juice and a few other mixes, some, a little bit of neem oil. And we used to make our own little repellent juice. And we used to literally just dunk the whole clone in before we plant it. And then um, that was pretty good. But also, though, always keep on top of it. Um, yeah. You're going to think pest control is like a, a... Well, that's why I said awareness and control. Because control, yeah. it's going to be out of control if you don't have the awareness. So here are some more organic tips for you people. If you've got thrips, you can use uh, what's called dolomite. It, it, the bugs themselves go across it. It's almost like a razor blade yeah, and it will cut them. You could also use uh, uh, Fison 20. I don't know if you can find it here, but I'm sure you could. It's a natural uh, pesticide that farmers use all over the world as far as molds and resistance. Uh, um, another thing that you can use, of course, is uh, 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 what is it? It's low pH water. You could literally put it on the plant as long as you're able to dry it off, and that will lower the pH enough to where mold won't even grow on the plant. Um, I try to find natural ways to get rid of things before I go. I mean, not to say that I haven't used heavy-duty pesticides, because I have. And also, as well, you can go uh, with natural pest predators. Right, predator you, mites, yeah, ladybugs. Mites, yeah. uh, and most of those you like can that. order online. Or, you know, if you're fortunate, maybe catch a few ladybugs throw him in there. I know in Spain we, had a, we found a praying mantis. I was just, just going to say, thank you, you said that. I, I, uh, praying mantises, it's actually kind of calming to have a few oh, in calming, your, your garden. Yeah, I've, I've thrown a few in the gardens yeah, before. And, and, yeah. It's very, it's, it's cool. Nice, yeah. I, and, then I, and then I'm with my kids and I think of uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about uh, uh, praying mantis. Praying mantises, yeah. 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 But I, I always dug, like, when, uh, you know, the ladybugs or the predator mites, you release them, suddenly the, the spider mites are on the run and they're scared because otherwise they don't care, you know. So, and you're actually, you're sicking the, the carnivores onto the vegetarians. I was Good just thinking Good that um, I put a predator um, mantis into my room once. And you know what? I could never find it again. I yeah? Was, yeah. I all three, all three, the, the predator mites... Uh, the ladybugs and the praying mantises, do yourself a favor if you do release them and get a nice loop or microscope or something and watch just what they do. They rip the heads off the spider mites and they suck all the juice out and it's, it's, it's satisfying to see. <laughs> Never look at ladybugs the same way. So... But yeah, we, we always uh, pre- uh, preach prevention on this show, you know, cleaning yeah, up dead you leaves and keeping to... things clean. But uh, yeah, it's interesting... Um, that's one thing I would say too is prevention is so much uh, more important in, in a way because uh, if you check the bottom, the undersides of the leaves all the time and if you remove yellow and dying leaves, all the brown leaves in it, because y- uh, the bugs aren't very smart and they're attracted to the color yellow um, because it, to them it means something's in trouble and that's why all the sticky traps that you hang up, that's why they're yellow because to a bug's brain, that's a leaf where I can establish a foothold and then from there attack the rest of the plant. So if you've got yellow or dying leaves on the plant, take them off. Don't leave them on the floor. Just get rid of them, compost them, do something, but 
that's important. And always check the undersides of the leaves. And when you're doing the treatments on the plant, uh, do that on the surface of the soil as well, because a lot of times that's where they'll hide and uh, try to wait you out uh, for another generation. And we said yesterday as well, like some of these bugs, they're born pregnant, so they reproduce very quickly. Um, if it's really, really hot in the room, they reproduce even faster. So um, one thing everybody can, gets predators. Right. Everybody gets pests. Right. No matter Right, there's no shame in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah if but those, you cool the room all... way down and bring the humidity down and stuff, that, that can help as well. That's true, but those are all very good things to do. But I'm curious, you know, the best laid plans, they don't always work out, and you're, you preach organics. I'm curious, um, worst case scenario, how do you deal with that kind of an issue? Worst case scenario, I didn't say this here. Uh, it's called Avid. It's a, a commercial-grade product that is sprayed all over the world on every crop. We all, if you go to any probably General Albertine here, Albertsons in America, probably same thing, huh? Uh, uh, anyways, uh, it is, uh, and it does work. Uh, it's very dangerous, full uh, uh, Tyvek suit, HEPA filter, glasses. Uh, uh, I've done it. I, if I had to go full camo, uh, uh, sometimes you have to do that when you get uh, an infestation. You, you have to go. And now I, I will say two more things with that infestation. One that we, we didn't talk about, the micro and the enzymes and the beneficials will help any of the flat gnats and right. things that are inside your roots. So that's one way to, to do it. Now another thing that's uh, pretty important as far as uh, maintenance and protection, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on, on the thought of keeping a very clean room and, and, and being very careful what you introduce to your room. So a buddy over here, he has a plant, and that's great, and you want it and everything. Before you bring it into your room, you should isolate that plant, and you should do everything in your power to make sure before you introduce it to your room that it is bug-free and everything else. And then to, to, to end that is, is that it's all we, we want to share, you guys. Growing plants is a wonderful experience, and we all want to share. We want to brag. We want to, I mean, it, it, we all do it, okay? I do it every day. Uh, uh, the reality of it is, is that once you start doing that, you introduce people into your room. You don't know what they have, and they don't know what you have as far as we can carry the bugs on us. So you walk into the room. It's all cool. You didn't have bugs, and then next day you have bugs because they had bugs. So. Right. Be careful about what you're doing. And you can bring them in yourself as well. So yes. it's, it's smart to have a separate outfit at the door of your grow room that you change into, uh, different shoes. And one last thing about uh, pest control that I'll mention is, uh, especially outdoors, foliar feeding with that compost tea we talked about will really help protect your plant. Uh, from bugs as well. With, and, and I do that, and, and, that, and thank you. you know, sometimes we, we miss over. I, I go out uh, outside, and we right. have a mister, uh, 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 like a fogger. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, uh, uh, they just came up with a new one. It's a backpack now, a powered one, so my workers are going to be really happy. But before, we ran it on the little, the little red wagon. And so you'd run the red wagon, plugged into the generator, and then <laughs> you'd walk behind it, and you'd fog everything up. Well, putting the neem oil on it, and, and another thing, too, when we live in Northern California, where our, my grows are at, they have, uh, we, had a, we had a huge infestation of uh, worms and crickets. I mean, like, huge infestation. Uh, in fact, talking to Loud, over there's a Loud Seed Company, he had, as well, lost about 70% of his crop this year due to 
uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the worms inside the buds. Once you, you don't even see them. And, and the thing that you're talking about, the leaves... The branch I, just the plant just falls. Oh they, my god! They, it looks like it, all of a sudden the most beautiful thing, the and then it's mush, and this big, huge, two kilo plant just is in the ground. It's nothing now. It's destroyed. Um, and one thing that I would suggest to people, if you're in a warm climate, this is really important. At least I, in my experience, I take the fan leaves off. I take them all off. I mean, I take everything off. I go all the way down. And you know, Cushman does pretty much the same thing. We, we found, You're counting on new families that are growing I'm, all the I'm time. I'm counting on that, but what I'm trying to do is I want the sunlight to hit the bud sites. I want them to hit, and I literally go out, and we super crop outside. So it's pretty neat to see big knots, you know, basically like your fingers are that outside, and then off of those knots, the, the buds, and try it at, at home, inside, outside, I don't care where you do it. Do just one little branch, super crop it, okay, and pop it and, and, and try it, and make sure you, you do it, you stop it two weeks, uh, two weeks into flowering. Don't do it any after that. It will affect the buds. And then don't do it to maybe one side of your plant, and watch this side over here. Be, I mean, like just nugs, you'll be like, what happened? Why did this do? It's a simple technique. And by taking those fan leaves off, uh, I take them off uh, during the vegetative, uh, uh, maybe the first month or so. I let it go. Then the first week in the flower, I pull them all off again. The fourth week in the flower, I pull them off again, and then that's it. But again, all those leaves are used. I want to stress that point. The plant, everything down to the stalk and the leaves, everything are used, you guys. You, you can make food. You can make oils. You can make tinctures. You, the, the important thing about this plant is every part of the plant, the stalk, I pull off and make a tea out of. So you have to take your time and, and you have to understand the value of this plant. It's way beyond just smoking cannabis and getting high. If that's all that it is, fuck, we've been, I've been doing that for almost 35 years getting high. Uh, uh, it's not about that. And, and we want to change the people's minds, the policemen, the, the judges, the juries. If they, all they see us is just getting high and getting on drugs, that's all they see. That, that's all they see. But if they see people that are actually making something of themselves, their lives, their children, their wives, their families, and we're actually doing something positive instead of negative, you can't stop us, and, and you won't stop us. <laughs> right on. Thanks, Chuck. All right, well, um, Thanks, Chuck. After, the, after the vegetative stage, uh, now you're getting into flowering, and this happens indoors where you cut the cycle back to 12 hours on and 12 hours off. Some people do 11 hours on and 13 hours off. We'll, we could talk about that a little too, um, but we want to still have time to take some questions. So let's talk about... Uh, flowering and what are the important things during the flowering stage both indoors and outdoors that you can do to have a bigger yield or a heavier harvest well first sort of two weeks of flowering it's pretty important um, what I like to sometimes do is uh, add a little bit of uh, vegetable growth veg growth as well as your your flower nutrients just sort of because the first two weeks it's not actually about the flower. It's about how the stretch. The, the stretch. And it's a transitionary period. You're not actually building flowers for those first two weeks or so. So you still need uh, a, you little know, a, nit a little food, bit of nitrogen, nitrogen a little there. more of a yeah. vegging uh, nutrient at that point, right? As yeah. you're transitioning into forming flowers, which happens after about two weeks or so. So for those that don't know, that's the first 
of the three on the numbers. So when you're buying your fertilizers, you're looking for the first number to be higher right. and the middle one to be about a, maybe a two or three and the end one to be about a five or six. The first one to be about a ten. Right. And after that early flowering period, that transitional period, you'll really start to see the little puff balls and the white hairs start to form into, you know, like little golf balls. And that's basically from the second or third week, depending on the strain, until about the sixth or seventh week. That's really the middle flowering period. That's where you're packing on uh, a lot of flowers. And you're, that's your best time to add, use additives and things. Um, During weeks three and four, the middle part is yeah, when you start adding the, the bud boost or the big bud or the PK 13, 14, just something which gets it into gear. Right, and that's the time for additives. Also, organic additives such as uh, bat guano and things. Um, this is where the bulk of the flower is formed. And then as it's reaching maturity, there's a couple of weeks where it's not really packing on weight so much. It's, it's you know, kind of preparing for the end. And that's really the time when you want to cut way back on your nutrients uh, right up until the two weeks... <laughs> to week before you harvest, which is when you want to completely cut off nutrients altogether and just use plain water, pH-balanced plain water. pH water for the last two weeks. And, um, and that's the important. flushing. That's the flushing, which is leaching out the salts and the, you know, the metals and things that you've added as nutrients because ultimately when you smoke uh, the bud, you want as little of that in there as possible. That's how it'll burn to a clean white ash and yep. not like a piece of charcoal. And that's very important because even in the instance of a cannabis cup, you know, if there's 20 or 30 strains in a certain category, you're going to get two or three that are the same strain, OG Kush or, or whatever it might be, Super Silver Haze. And the way those, you're differentiating between those is burnability and things, yeah, then you're not just judging the strain, but you're judging the grower as well and their ability to leach those things out and make for something that burns properly. Do you use um, final phase? What? Like the final phase? Final phase? I don't really think that you really need a product to do it, although I understand the concept behind it. I think plain water is probably fine, but final phase uh, is basically going to probably accentuate the process. So if, you, if, if you're looking at the bud and you only have a week le left uh, and you feel like you know, then, then a product like that is recommended. But if you've got the full two weeks um, before harvest, I'd say just plain water is fine, uh, and it's cheap. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too, that I think we all need to realize is that for most of you out here probably in today that are out here, you're doing it probably for personal use or you're learning or you're thinking about maybe uh, uh, stepping up and maybe growing more. For that thought, and as far as the cost to get involved in, I mean, I'm sure he can explain some of the cost of his grows, but I've had some grows that cost over, you know, a million and a half dollars. My last outdoor cost me $3 million. Uh, um, it's a, it costs a lot of money, you guys, to do what we do. I mean, it's not cheap. Uh, we put a lot of uh, my kids' uh, uh, <laughs> college funds in that stuff. Hopefully it pays off. Um, so ultimately, that when you can save money, at every corner, but yet still achieve your maximal potential, I, I would give the advice that that is great advice to be able to save some money. And you're going to see 
some fall coloring, and that's totally natural. If uh, the leaves start to go reddish or yellowish, that's fine. That's actually a good sign that you're removing chlorophyll and uh, salts and things. So it's perfectly normal. Um, how do you guys? Let's talk about harvesting, and then we'll take some questions. Because yeah, that's a that's a uh, harvesting is another. We'll talk me, about harvesting, drying, and curing all all at once right now, and then we'll take some questions. You but how, go how do you two, determine two, when to harvest? Uh, for for me, I'm I'm you know I, I see a lot of these people with uh, the uh, how do you call the uh, they're out there with their eye scope and they're scoping the trichromes and the developing of the milky colors and they're like fuck man what are you tweaking on man. Uh, uh, come on, bro. Come on. I, I, I'm not doing that. The plant really has a simple uh, uh, process. You can look at the plant itself. The amber uh, of all the hairs start to change. Generally, it's about, I, I wait to about 80, 85% of the hairs to change. Right around there, you start to see the plant really, the, the glands are opening up. You can see them with your own eyes. I don't need a glass. I'm not that blind yet. You know, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to need glasses some days. Someday. Uh, so uh, uh, anyways, that, it, that, that for me, I, I do it by eye. But I do know people that, you know, use a microscope. I can remember reading uh, an article from Soma, and he said, when it looks ready, give it at least another week. <laughs> a lot of people do harvest too, too early, I find, and that's for you sure. And compare, then some people definitely can... harvest too late. Yeah. If, it's all, if all of the glandular trichomes and, have turned... Uh, Amber, unless you're looking for a, a really kind of lethargic stone, you've let it go a little that too far. That is a very good point. There are people that think, you know, well, well I'll just let it go because they have time and they keep on letting it go. Well, there's a point when you take it too far, you actually are hurting the actual plant. The trichrome is literally... degrading. Yeah, it, it just, it, it's, there's a fine line and I think my, that was one of the best points. Is it, and, and Selma, obviously, an acclaimed grower in his own right... That's a good point. When you think it's done, one more week, you're not going to hurt anything. I guarantee you that. So. And uh, drying and curing, I mean, once, you, once you've harvested and, and uh, trimmed the sugar leaf and fan leaves off, uh, it's important that you do that slowly, the drying process. You don't want to quick dry yeah. anything. First and foremost, yeah, take, take off the big fan leaves. Uh, what we do is uh, take off the big fan leaves first. Then we hang up to dry between five to ten days. Then afterwards we give the second manicure, and this is the one when it's ready to go into jars and stuff. Right. And then when you put it into jars, at least once uh, once every day or once every two days, um, just take it out of the jar and put it back in there. And then uh, after about a week, you've got perfect buds, coffee shop style buds. So I'm going to add a little something to that. So. There, this is pretty much what I do, almost to a T, but except one thing, and I'm sure you probably do this, but the trichromes and the chlorophyll in the plant, that's two of the things that we, we want to happen with this plant. And what I mean by that is we want the chlorophyll to leave, and we want the trichrome itself to fully open up. And what I mean by opening up is that when you cut the plant down, it, it's finishing its process, and it's one of the most important processes. You could g have the greatest grow. Everything's perfect. You're all good. It smells good. It looks good, and you're excited to taste it. But what you do is you go ahead and you cut it, and then you're so excited. After you cut it, you hang it up in a room. It needs to be an ambient temperature uh, of, of t this room temperature right now. An oscillating fan would be fine, and it, it, that's it. You're good. But the key to what I'm telling you right now is that it's 72 hours of complete darkness. 
When that plant goes in there, it needs to be 72 hours of complete darkness that you do not interrupt the darkness. Why? Because the trichrome is now finishing and opening up. So, and, and for the example of how this, you would be able to know this, go ahead and take a piece of uh, your work, uh, your medicine, your cannabis, throw it off to the side in the light, just dry it wherever you want, dry it in your bathroom, who cares? But my point is, is make sure it's getting light all the time on it and everything. And the same time, dry as I just described the proper way to dry. And you'll go over to this other piece and you'll find the piece that was in your bathroom will not have the smell and will not have the taste that you were waiting for when you were curing it. And after that seven to ten, I mean, uh, uh, 72 hours, then I do go back into the room. I generally, from that, then will buck it off because I hang dry it. And then I put it on racks. I let it there for another four to five days, so a total of about seven, let's say, days. And from there, I burp it in and out of a jar for about another two or three weeks. And then from there, we're, we're ready to go. But it is the quintessential finish. You're at the finish line. It, 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 I'm growing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow, I'm gonna grow you wine grapes. I'm going to grow you tomatoes or whatever I'm going to grow you. It, it, it's like not finishing the race. If you do not do what I just said to yeah. do, you will have an inferior product and you'll never be able to achieve that uh, upper uh, echelon of uh, medicine. Yeah, it's, right. it's a common theme that we hear from pretty much all the growers that we talk to is right. that you spend so much time and energy and even money on your grow. Don't blow it on the curing, the drying, the harvesting. You know, make yep. sure you finish right. And curing is basically just slow drying in a jar. Once the plants are hung and dry and the, the stems snap, they're ready to be, the buds, individual buds are ready to be cut off those stems and put into jars to cure, sealed jars. You'll think that they're dry when you put them in the seal jar and then you go back, open it up. The moisture from the inside of the bud has moved to the outside and the bud is wet again. You're slowly leaching out or sweating out the water from the inside of the bud to the outside of the bud and then to the air inside the jar. And that's why it's essential to open the jar once a day or however many times depending on how moist it is and release the moist air and bring in other air because that's the fresh air that's going to take on that moisture again. And it's a slow process of curing until you're at a perfect moisture level where you can grind the butt up. It grinds perfectly, smokes perfectly, and tastes great. And that's what we're all looking for. Um, let's take some questions. Yeah, absolutely. as yeah, our favorite part of the show. We're going to ask you uh, some questions. If you have questions for Milo or Brett or Dan, flag me down. Get them answered. And I uh, just want to say, right now is a good time to do shout-outs uh, for uh, BigBuddhaSeeds.com. Is that the proper... Yeah, BigBuddhaSeeds.com. Uh, you probably all know that we've been giving out uh, goodie bags all week, so now In the States, would they go through a distributor? Uh, um, not yeah. through the States, no, but um, in next year now we're going to plan to start doing a lot more high-time shows and cannabis mm-hmm. cups in the, in the States. But um, this let's, year, let's also hear it for the Big Buddha booth. Yeah, have you guys there. seen that thing? Yeah, <laughs> he went above and beyond, literally. That's a Buddha. The booth is uh, actually a hundred percent made from like cardboard, uh, so it's actually a, a big like paper bag. And the guy who put us onto that was Woody Halson. So we got him to thank for us for hooking us with the, the actual building material. Woody Harrelson, yeah? Yeah, wow. supplied us with it. That's pretty awesome. So um, for me, you guys, uh, as I explained earlier, I uh, have been battling some court cases, but uh, 
the first line of apothecary seeds will be available uh, come um, early spring, uh, beginning of summer. We'll have 14 lines of OG, and then after that, we'll have our Chem Dog, Sour D, Headband, Triple X, Grape Ape, and Sour Grapes. All of Cali's finest. Probably about, I, I think we have right now 15 Cannabis Cup winners in our lineup. So wow. uh, I think uh, I'm looking forward to actually uh, just concentrating on growing seeds. For all those that don't know, I used to own the first ever online cannabis college, which we sold last year to Cannabis Science, along with uh, two other companies. And uh, I was spread really thin. I'm a one-man show, and I think we can all uh, relate to that. Sometimes uh, my priorities weren't uh, quite where they should have been. So now I have the opportunity, and I look forward to bringing my genetics medically to you guys. So All right. Very cool. And we'll get to the questions, but really quick, where can they uh, get you guys online? Apothecarygenetics.com. Apothecarygenetics.com. And uh, BigBuddhaSeeds.com. BigBuddhaSeeds. All right. Uh, we got our first question here. Tom Dennis, um, I have been growing many years as a medical patient, and my situation has changed with the feds. I live in Alaska, and I have to, I'm being forced to go to, if I can say this, BC Grow cab, Cabs, as opposed to growing in my room, and I was wondering what you have to say to prepare me for what's about to happen well, to my it, grow. Dan, it, one, uh, one second, I want to know. Go ahead. What, what part of Alaska do you live in, if I might ask? Anchorage. Okay. Uh, Alaska does have uh, medical cannabis use. Very, very liberal laws in Alaska sure, were allowed so, to have uh, medical cannabis. Is there money. certain areas, if I might ask, that... Uh, uh, the reason I'm asking, I grew up in the Aleutian Islands. My family owned fishing boats and canneries. If you've ever seen The Deadliest Catch, most of those people used to work for my family. Um, so I'm, and my mom goes up to Dillingham all the time. Where my, <laughs> I love Alaska with all my life. Uh, what I'm getting to is that I know up there in Dillingham, which is, of course, on the, uh, out towards the back in Anchorage there, uh, they're, they're able to have a little bit of cannabis. And what I've, I'll, I'll finish here is that it may be just the area that you're in in Alaska, unfortunately, that's not allowing you to be able to grow your cannabis. It's my manager where I live. Ah, so you're saying you're going from a, a grow room to a grow box. Yeah, because okay, well, she doesn't want me growing, but mm -hmm. I'm going to just do it. This is, this is a good so, point, a small so, scale and stealth right. kind of stuff. What so what that, what that means is, yeah, what that means is you have a smaller environment and you need to monitor it properly. Most of the great good grow boxes will have the temperature display and, and humidity right displayed on them, and you, you get a range of what happens at night, what happens during the day. Um, ventilation in a grow box is absolutely essential. Um, most of them will have you know, exhaust fans that go through charcoal filters. That's very important. Uh, the plants are gonna be smaller uh, and shorter, so you wanna have a shorter vegetating time, and you know, in general, heat will build up more quickly. So, you know, uh, grow boxes are a great stealthy way to grow, but they're also so compact that, you know, the environment is so tight that, you know, things can change very quickly. And so you kind of, and what's cool about them, especially the newer, more automated ones, is that they'll deal with the problems for you in some ways. If they sense that the heat is too high, the exhaust fan will, will kick out more air or the lights will dim, or, you know, there's all kinds of methods for dealing with the problems that can arise in a grow box that are accentuated because it's a smaller space. All right, very cool. We have Brian here. He's got a question about storage. 
I, I get a question about storage. Um, say I, I, I harvest a uh, hundred pounds, and then I, I go on a trip somewhere for six months. How would you recommend storing? So long-term long storage. Yeah, this sounds like a good that's, question that's for Brad. Classic. <laughs> okay, so I want to get it right now. So you got 100 peas, right? Right. So you're hanging them up. Cool. And then all of a sudden, you're like, fuck it, I'm on vacation? Yeah, I mean, like... You <laughs> I mean, bro, see, <laughs> so you're letting 100 <laughs> peas just... He might be waiting for... Uh, I can't smoke 100 peas and... No, 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 but so are you... You're pa- I mean, please, I, I was kind of a joke, but you're, so, so you're packaging it up, you're putting it in something... Uh, how do you recommend storing it? Okay, so after it's done drying, right? And, yeah, and curing and dunning yes. everything. I would. I personally like to take them and vacuum seal them. And after vacuum sealing, I put them in the freezer. Uh, I tend to. It tends to keep a little bit better uh, for me. Uh, but again, there's many different ways. I have people in the mountains that like to take them, <laughs> put them in 55 gallon b- barrels, and go with their backhoe and in the backyard and just dump them in there, and then get their metal finder. And then there's their pounds right there. Wow. So uh, I, 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 w- I would, uh, you know, just to leave 100 peas sitting around in my house, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but uh, uh, to store it, again, after it's dry, vacuum seal it, vacuum seal in with, the freezer yeah, for me. With, with any type of long-term storage, take the air out, so vacuum seal it. You know, um, if you don't want it sort of too tight, you know, try and keep it in a container and vacuum seal the container, then freeze it. That's the best thing. Take out the air and freeze it. Yeah, I don't always recommend the freezer. I guess when it's vacuum sealed, it's not as much of an issue, but, um, you know, the trichomes are going to freeze and break off and things like that. I just say a cool, dark place, you know. Um, But sealed completely because if there's any kind of hole... mold or... And we're not talking about a a Ziploc. We're talking about an actual vacuum sealer. Sealer. Yeah. Sealer. Where you press on the, the... the air and it, nothing comes out and there's no odor at all. And then and also as well, when you're taking it out of the freezer later, make sure you take your time sort of uh, getting it back. Don't because put it, it straight into the sweaty room. Yeah, exactly, right. because it could, when it comes out, it will still have a little condensation in it and then the bud actually could get wet and it's just, it, you're, you're completely correct. Bring it back out, acclimate it to the air temperature and the climate and then put it in the bag or whatever. Yes. Slowly in steps, yeah. Yeah. All right. Right. Some good tips about long-term storage and also maybe some advice about not leaving 100 pounds in your house and going on vacation. (laughs) Good stuff. All right. Send it over. Uh, Rex has a question about a super crop method. Uh, Yeah, I was just uh, curious. After you get your first four leaves, when would you super crop and then when would you do it again? So for me, I generally, uh, uh, for me, I'll, I'll start either by a seed and or a clone. Just depends on what I'm working with. I'll get the plant up to about maybe six to eight inches. From there, I, t- I top it. And then I literally take the whole plant and I bend it over the bucket. Okay? The reason I bend it over the bucket, as soon as you bend it over the bucket, what's, I hope you guys will understand, the first thing that the plant's going to do is go this and come back this way to the light. Okay? What I'm doing now is I'm allowing all the shoots to come back up. About two weeks later, I let the plant back up. The whole time, I'm super cropping the plant. When I let it back up, I just cut the string. But now what I've done, if this is the bucket, I wish I could show you guys this. I, I, instead of just having one stalk that goes straight up and I just have a top, now I have a hedge that goes around the whole thing. And in, so now I'm growing from here up, and I'm expecting to get flowers that are the same size down on the bottom that I am on top. 
but again, it's the watts per square foot that's going to allow me and the technique of breaking and super cropping. And I continue that super cropping again from basically about week one, week two, all the way to the second week of flowering. And I stop after that because the plant now is producing and trying to, it knows it's at its end cycle. And I, I don't want to interfere with what it's producing as far as the, the uh, uh, flowers themselves. All right, any more questions? Yeah, cool. I like saying super crop. It's fun. All right, uh, we got time for one more question, but, but don't fear. If you have another question, uh, we'll be here doing another free weed tomorrow at 1.30. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, and They're I believe their money's we worth have, out of you, this yeah, cup, right? We have Simon from Serious Seeds tomorrow, who uh, that should be very interesting as well. He's, he's been in this business for a long time, and uh, he's, yeah, great seeds and uh, very, very knowledgeable about breeding and all of that. So that should be very fun. Absolutely. So check that out tomorrow, 1.30. But uh, before we wrap it up, let's get one last question from Margo. Margo with an X. That's exciting. All right, here you go. Yes, I'm a patient and cultivator in Arizona. And uh, the limitation that we have on us is we're allowed 12 plants. And I'm trying to have, you know, maximum yield, but very efficient, you know, in a compact space. And you alluded to structuring the plant. And I was wondering, what's the best approach in terms of trying to get really dense plants, like with lighting, you know, from other directions, like with, you know, fluorescence or LEDs, you know, might be complementary in addition to helping bifurcate, you know, like structure the right. plant, make it like a pyramid maybe where it's so stronger. S- supplemental yeah. lighting, uh, I'm sorry, just yep, quickly. Supplemental lighting is very important. Um, and, but I do think that your best bet with your limitations is to have different plants at different stages of life if you have the space. So that way you have, you know, three seedlings, three that are in the vegetative stage, three that are in early flowering, and three that are finishing flowering. And that way you're harvesting maybe every three weeks to a month or, or so. Yeah. And, uh, and you're getting the most out of every one of those plants. And as you're harvesting these three, you're adding three seedlings and so on. So it's a perpetual sort of thing. But I'm going to let Brett speak as to how to get the most uh, in a small space from each plant. So I, how I break down my rooms for everyone in the room, I, I look at everything, you know, regardless if it, you know, uh, my last uh, grow was uh, 1,500 lights, uh, almost a 25,000 square foot building. Um, when you, it just depends on what you're doing. Is it a commercial? Are you growing for other companies? You're, you're obviously growing for personal use. And so how I break it down is I break it down to square footage. Everything, I start with that. So my square footage um, would be, and I used an example. And by the way, in 1993, the DEA did a field study. And in that field study, they took outside plant area of 10 by 10 and inside. And you can pull this up online if you want. Uh, uh, And they did an inside study and an outside study. The best that the DEA could do in a 10 by 10 area, inside and outside was five pounds. So thank you, DEA. You guys are awesome. I'll use your fucking thing all day long. Mm. You're the man. So uh, uh, anyways, uh, uh, but the reality to answer your question is, is so I start with the 10 by 10, right? The 10 by 10 is a legal uh, uh, defined area that they define in California. In a 10 by 10 area, I put sheets of plywood to, to make it simple. Three sheets of plywood, four by eight, 96 square foot, 10 plants on each one. Your in case, it would only be 10 plants because you can only do 12. I either do three 600s or two 1,000s. I take that, let's say the, the uh, uh, 
sheetrock. I, I wrap it with the panda plastic, the white and double plastic. I wrap it. I put roller casters on it. I would use 15-gallon buckets. I veg for one month. I super crop everything out. And out of that one spot right there, just that 32 square foot, five pounds. So it's, it's about maximizing, and it's just taking your time in your garden. If you have the time, you know, spend it, you know, an hour or two, uh, um, maybe every two or three days. It's not like you have to be in there every day. Uh, and I will say one other way, too, that I've been uh, um, working uh, with another company uh, that's publicly traded, and hopefully they pay me a big bucks for this one, uh, uh, that uh, we have a new uh, hydroponic uh, um, system coming out. And the hydroponic system, and this may be something that might help you, okay? Um, and at General, Hypon- General Hydroponics has it now. They're the bucket system. I think all of us have seen it. They're the five gallons with the basket in them, right? Deep well, water culture buckets, right? Right. So I started, I was looking at their, ba- their buckets, and I was looking at it, and I was like, well, how can I approve on this? And I want to get bigger plants. So what I did is I took the back of the basket, and I drilled holes in the, bas- the, the bottom of the basket because really there's only like 12 holes in the bottom of that basket now and the roots can barely come out of the bottom. Uh, now a plant normally six to eight ounces in that deep water culture, right? Try a pound and a half now. So then what I did is the plastic company, I went to them and I said, hey, let's build a bigger, and by the way, it's called Bucket Blaster. <laughs> and what I did is I said, I want to build them 10, 20, 25, and 50-gallon buckets with the baskets. So we're getting what? Almost five pounds of plant now off one light. So it's not about uh, how it's technique, and, and it's about using and maximizing the watts. Now, the last thing I'll leave you with is that light that I'm talking about putting over, either three 600s or two 1,000s. When, when we do articles, or you do articles, we talk about 33, 32 watts per square foot. Well, what I just described right there is 64.5 watts per square foot. Right. So what I've done is I've doubled up the recommended dosage, and in this way, it's okay. Because the more light, when we talked about California, outside, we're going back outside again, you're going to get bigger buds, right. more lumens per square watt. Or square right. foot. As long Excuse as you me. can deal with the extra added heat, heat that's there. And the heat would then be the problem with, of course, the AC, yeah, the dehumidifier, and oscillating air. And uh, the one last thing I'll tell you about getting the most in that space is that a larger container for the, for the roots is great, but you have to couple that with a longer vegetating time to allow the roots to grow into a bigger plant. Because what you're feeding the roots... And the roots are feeding the plant, and that's really important. Big well. roots, big more fruits. Fruit. Yeah, more root, more fruit. So, yeah, Mike, take it away. Well, everybody, we've got to wrap it up. We hope that helps, Margo. I think I speak for everyone when I say, uh, Milo, could you please be quiet? <laughs> thank you all for coming. It's been a hard time. Uh, thank you so much thank for coming. Thank you so much to Milo. Big Buddha. Go check out his booth. It's amazing. Yeah. Go ahead, Beautiful booth. Brett, Beautiful apothecary booth. Seeds. Thank you, Brett. Thank, thank you, guys, you. for coming. Uh, the next one is Novan Schenk, is that right? That's right, yeah, 3 p.m. Next, um, he's uh, going to tell us all about Weed Pass if you had questions about yeah. that. But thank you so much for uh, being part of this live taping of Free Weed from Amsterdam. Thanks, guys. See you tomorrow at 1.30 with Simon from Free Serious weed. Seeds. Right on. Free Weed. Danny Danko on the normal radio. Free Weed. Free Weed. Oh, yo. Danny Danko, come to show you how we grow. You're now tuned in to Free Week from Danny Danko on Normal Radio, presented by High Times.
Magazine. See me, I say, boom, bang, big respect. See me, I say, Danny Danko. Yeah, how about that? All right. That was fun. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was episode number 32, brought to you by BC Northern Lights. Uh, I guess we can wrap it up with Raw as well, right? I yeah, mean... yeah, this technically is the Raw wrap-up. <laughs> we, we don't do the Raw wrap-up when we're live on the road. But, you know, if you're at one of these uh, Cannabis Cups, our next one is in Los Angeles, uh, definitely come out to a taping of the show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you get to ask Dan questions, and sometimes he answers them if he's in a good mood. Gotta yeah. catch him in a good mood. <laughs> no, we had some. We had a lot of uh, fans of the show from all over the world that uh, showed up and got to see a live taping. So we were we we're ha- really happy about that. And uh, yeah, what's cool is you never really know how people are going to react when you're when you're doing one of these live. But people had a lot of questions. They were they were excited to to get their questions answered by yeah. Milo and you and, and Brett. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. came up to us afterwards and uh, yeah. Yeah, shout out to all the people, Gallant, Jariah, and all the people who came up and uh, let us know they were fans of the show. That's really, really awesome, and we're going to keep the shows coming. Absolutely, and uh, you know, if if Dan and I sound a little bit delirious right now, it's probably because High Times just moved offices. Yeah, um, in like two days, we moved yeah. our whole office to a new location in, in Manhattan, still in New York City, but uh Yeah. We're we're a bit uh, yeah. It's a taxing thing because you don't you know think of moving offices as being all that difficult. But I've been here seven years. Dan has worked for High Times for thirty seven. <laughs> Not that long, but it's over been a, a while. decade. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening in, and uh, we will see you again in the new year. So happy new year! Yeah, yeah, and. Um, Thanks to our sponsors, it's been a great year. We had a, yeah. we had a lot of good episodes this year. Pretty awesome. I looked at the list on SoundCloud of all the different countries that people listen to us in, and it's ridiculous. We yeah. are worldwide, Mike. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, We're worldwide. I don't know why the people are wasting their time, but it's, <laughs> it's very nice. And next year, all right, well, let's, let's do this right now. Uh, what's your resolution? Free weed-wise, not about like weight loss. Or well, we're going to put more episodes out more yeah. frequently. That's my resolution because okay. we've got we've got people who want to hear from us, and we've I think got... that is the resolution. What else would there be? You yeah, know, we want to we want to do this more frequently and better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to work on that for you guys, um, yeah. and please keep sending us your grow questions. It's freeweed at hightimes.com. You can get Dan on Twitter at uh, Danny Danko. Yeah, and, uh, if you listen on SoundCloud, leave some comments, leave some uh, favorites, and you know, s- spread the love, share share the show with your friends or anybody who's like minded. Because we'd we'd love to just keep on growing, growing more free weed. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> we just moved to a new office. You already this said week, that to them, did we? Yeah, we told them that. Oh, we're, so we're what bit. happened was someone came into the, the studio. <laughs> I, studio is sort of a grandiose term. We're we're just in an office, uh, but it's, I think this is a step in the right direction. There's no jackhammering. You, people have to like that, right? We're Recent. done with that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, episode 32. I feel like uh, you know, live from Amsterdam. It's pretty cool. Hope hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know either way, or actually, only let us know if you did enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> we can't take the criticism. Yeah. Okay. We're a bit thin-skinned. All right. You good? Free weed. Free weed. <laughs>